today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. As always, thanks for tuning in. As we continue to look at the state of policing, politics, and unrest in America, we now turn our attention to the roots of fascism so that we might better understand it in the context of life in 2020 in America. Our next guest wrote a book about two years ago called How Fascism Works, The Politics of Us and Them. And now, amid an election year, a pandemic, and calls for an end to systemic racialized oppression, that book has never felt more relevant. Jason Stanley is the Jacob Urowski uh, Professor of Philosophy at Yale University, and he joins us now to talk about his book and about this moment in American politics. Jason, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks so much, Stephen. It's great to be speaking to a Michigan audience. Yes. So in your book, you look at fascist policies of the 20th century leaders in Europe. For listeners who might not know European history, briefly tell us who those leaders were. Well, I look both at well, Mussolini uh, in Italy and Hitler in Germany, but also there were many fascist movements uh, in Spain, in Britain, Oswald Mosley, and in the United States, in the interwar period, there was a huge fascist movement, and it overlaps very significantly with the Ku Klux Klan. Mm. So when you want to think about fascism in the United States, think about the Ku Klux Klan and white nationalism. Mm. So, so let's define that term a little better, fascism. When we say so that, fascism, what do we mean? Fascism is revolutionary nationalism motivated by fear of the other, power, and loyalty. The fascist demagogue says, we were once great, we ruled things, but they, where they is usually invariably uh, a minority, uh, communists, immigrants, always immigrants, uh, they have ruined us, they have ruined our greatness. I will change the country back to this fictional past where we were great. We will have a, this revolution where we will return to our previous greatness. And I will be the one who roots out these communists in our midst and roots and, and suppresses the minorities and replaces us again at the top. Mm. And in America, the us are white Christians and the them are black Americans and foreigners. And uh, it, it's also useful to think, when thinking about the targets of communism, of Pastor Martin Niemöller's poem. First, they came for the communists, mm. uh, and I said nothing because I was not a communist. Then they came for the trade unionists, the labor unions, uh, and I said nothing because I was not a member of a labor union. Then they came for the Jews, and I said nothing because I was not Jewish. So there you have the targets of, of fascism. Uh, leftists, socialists and communists, labor unions, and minorities. Mm. So, so uh, the things that you were saying about the ways in which fascists or, or potential fascist leaders try to appeal to their audiences are, of course, I mean, you can't you can't hear that right now without hearing the campaign of Donald Trump in 2016, and presumably what we will see happen again as he campaigns for re-election here in 2020. Um, so let's just kind of cut to the chase. Is Donald Trump appealing to fascist instincts or desires with the message that he is using to craft his campaign for the presidency? He's unquestionably doing that. He's appealing to fascist I ideologies, 
Uh, he's using fascist tactics, for instance. Uh, and, and this is not to say that we live in a fascist state. We do not live in a fascist state. But you can have politicians that use fascist tactics in order to win elections. That's what Hitler did. <laughs> you know, that's what, uh, that's what Bolsonaro did in Brazil. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. For, for example, a classic fascist tactic. Uh, it's my chapter one of Mein Kampf is about the wonderful little town that, that in the in the rural areas that uh, Hitler grew up in. And chapter two is my study and struggles in Vienna. And Vienna is the big city filled with foreigners and Jews, Jews and more Jews filled with decadence and crime. The si- chapter nine of my book is called Sodom and Gomorrah. The cities are burning and in flames and filled with the hated minorities. And we need the real genuine people from the heartland to counter that and take over this rot from the cities. And Michigan knows all about that kind of politics. Hmm. Uh, I'm talking with Jason Stanley. He is the author of five books, including How Fascism Works, The Politics of Us and Them. Uh, He is the Jacob Urowski Professor of Philosophy at Yale University. Uh, We're talking about fascism and the way that word is creeping back into the political dialogues that we're having, uh, not just at the national level in terms of the presidential election, but also in terms of the way that the nation and perhaps the federal government is responding to the massive protests that we see in the streets in places like Detroit and Portland and other American cities. Uh, If you want to join the conversation, give us a call and tell us what you know about fascism and whether you're concerned that we are living in a country that is lurching toward fascist ideals. Uh, Do you believe that the Trump administration, for instance, and the Trump presidency is using fascist ideas as a way to appeal to people's fears? Uh, As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll try to work you into the conversation. Let's start with Terry in Mount Clemens. Terry, welcome to the show. Yeah, good morning, Steve. Um, I was listening to Morning Edition earlier, and there was a fellow named Jonah Goldberg from the Dispatch. He was the Mm editor-in-chief, and he made the comment that, uh, that the situation in Portland is purely political and that it's not necessarily appealing to, you know, a particular fascist group, but that it's going to be a video at the RNC convention. It'll be a virtual video at the RNC convention to support the the carnage uh, statement that uh, Trump has made in the past. So anyway, I thought it was interesting. Yeah. So essentially your, your, your point or Jonah's point was that this is a, a political manipulation that meant to, yeah. to create images that that will help the president make the case that that something is happening that perhaps is not. Yes, this is what we're seeing right now. We're seeing the president use this new federal force. ICE and CBP. Remember, Homeland Security was created in the wake of the war on terror. Yes. Uh, it's not some sort of uh, archetypical U.S. institution. It's this institution, it's a police force designed to separate citizens from non-citizens. The president is now using it against his political opponents, explicitly directing it into Democratic-led cities that have, uh, and, uh, and directing against, and using them to stir up protests for 
campaign purposes. So this should deeply concern us as a use of an institution for the president's particular politics that should not happen in a democratic society. Indeed, we should question whether ICE and CBP should exist in a democratic society. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, thanks very much, Terry, for the call and the insight. Let's go to Melissa in Metro Detroit. Melissa, welcome to the show. Uh, Hi, Stephen. Hi. Um, And uh, hi, Professor. Uh, So my question is, um, I'd like to know from the professor how fascism looks like from left-leaning governments and how it would look from right-leaning governments. Like some examples of how that would look. It's an interesting question, Melissa. The, the, is there a difference on the ideological spectrum, for instance, uh, where you see fascist leaders uh, you know, uh, doing things that are anti-democratic? Okay, so there's no such thing as left-wing or liberal fascism. You have to look at, because fascism doesn't just mean bad thing. There are plenty of bad left-wing things, but you shouldn't call them fascism. You should call them communism. Hmm. Uh, so fascism is a far-right thing. Mm-hmm. A fa- think of Pastor Niemöller's comment. Communists and socialists, labor unions, Jews. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that Leftists do not target labor unions, <laughs> right. communists and socialists, and minorities. So, uh, so w- you have left-wing bad things, and leftist anti-democratic movements, such as communism, have killed just as many people, if not more, than fascist movements. But what we face, the threat we face in the United States, the anti-democratic authoritarian threat, the major one, comes squarely from the far right. It comes from our white nationalist past, the use of whiteness to make black people and leftists seem like terrifying threats to law and order. This is our fascist past. It's always from the right wing. Hmm. The Democrats under Clinton did adopt this strategy as well. They race baited and, you know, both parties have done it. But that just means that both parties have engaged in these racial fascist tactics, mm. uh, not that these tactics are left wing. So, so I, I think for some people, though, that word fascism or fascist just equates with anti-democratic. And I think that that is sort of at the base of Melissa's question. Right. Uh, and, and what you're saying is that this is a word that describes a particular type of anti-democratic uh, idea or rule and that uh, that it doesn't apply equally to, to, to both sides of the political spectrum. Absolutely. There's other anti-democratic dangerous movements like communist authoritarianism, but they're not fascist at all. Fascism is about targeting minorities. It's anti-global, anti-science. The fascist leader is a swaggering, macho guy who speaks from the gut. He doesn't trust science. Communist authoritarianism is like rationalism gone, gone mad. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, state planners uh, who plan everything. Uh, fascism is not like that. Fascism is, is, is anti-planning. It's shoot from the gut. It's, um, you know, uh, it's an attempt. To, so, and, that's, and, and what we're seeing now is particularly vind- is particularly close to the Marxist theory of fascism, which is ultranationalism in the service of private equity. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know the idea is the rich, the ultra wealthy, the, the finance capital, and private equity support an ultranationalist leader, so he can like like throw nationalism in the face of poor whites, say, uh, 
so they can while their pockets are being robbed. Mm. And that's very close, I think, to the structure we see now, where really it's a lot of corporate elites and private equity and Midwestern billionaires who are making money off of racism and ultranationalism. Mm. Uh, again, Melissa, thanks very much for the call. Let's go to Brian in Detroit. Brian, welcome to the show. Hi there. Hey. Yeah, uh, I'm almost in uh, line with the last statement from the professor there. Um, my idea of fascism is a sort of uh, a marriage between uh, the market economy and, uh, well, the military. Yep. Uh, they said hand in hand. Uh, even uh, as we going into our 19th year in a war that uh, is working beyond its definitions. Um, yeah, yeah mar- market economy, like you can look back like even slavery. Uh, it was the market economy that drove uh, the uh, elites right. to, uh, well, not uh, involuntarily, but like, uh, hey, we can make more money if we had yeah. compulsory free labor. Free labor, sure. Uh, and Brian, that, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and that, that, go on, Brian. And we're going on into an expansion of this thing. I think Trump is being backed by certain people to do certain things. Mm. I, I don't know I, absolutely. Yeah, Brian, I, I, I appreciate the call and the thoughts. Uh, Jason Stanley, go ahead and respond. Absolutely, Brian's right, absolutely. And I think there you... That's why I, I don't say Trump himself is a Trump is a fascist ideologue. He's giving us fascist politics and rhetoric, and he's using these fascist tactics. But he is not a fascist. He's not like Putin telling the oligarchs that control things. I'm going to put you, uh, you know, uh, you know, I'm going to put you in prison if you don't do what I say. Uh, he is being he is opening the gates to all of the richest people in the cut to the richest. Uh, most powerful concerns. The the uh, we're seeing this with COVID nineteen, where he's sort of opening it up to the pharmaceutical companies to replicate what the CDC is doing. Uh, he's privatizing everything. He's doing everything for the super wealthy, and they seem to be more in control of him. And as long as they're in synergy, they're going to support him. Mm-hmm. So it's much more that structure where he's a mouthpiece for uh, the the privatization and looting of America. I think that's much more using racism as a way to uh, to confuse people, to hide the fact that labor unions are being destroyed, um, and uh, and and then just open the pockets of government uh, to and and to private industry. So I think that's a it's the structure where it's the mar- that marriage between the corporate elite and the political wing, uh, where uh, racism, uh, fear. Uh, immigrants, xenophobia, and machismo are being used to draw people in uh, into a politics uh, that is actually destroying them. Mm. I also wonder if you believe this is a dynamic of Trump himself and isolated to his view of how things should be, or if this is something that infects the Republican Party in a way that predated Trump and supersedes him in some ways. In other words, is this the direction that this party is and has been headed for a really long time? Yes, it is. And Trump is a symptom, not a cause. And we're going to we have Tom Cotton 
Josh Hawley, Tucker Carlson, all of whom are going to be more effective Trumps than Trump coming up in subsequent elections. And the Republican Party, the counter rent talks about the danger of a political party valuing party party over parties. And what she means is you can't have a political party in a democracy that places loyalty to the party over loyalty to a multi-party system. And that's what we have right now with the Republican Party. And it's Newt Gingrich, I think, who is most responsible for this politics, saying we're we're going to pretend that the Democrats are illegitimate. You know how the Republicans are always saying that anyone they face is a communist Mm -hmm. or a socialist, you know, is is a dangerous leftist. So that's this politics that if you're not part of our party, you're a traitor. And that's anti-democratic. That's shared by communist authoritarianism and by fascist authoritarianism, the one party state. Mm -hmm. And the Republicans are trying to transform our country into one where the minority party, because that's face it, what they are holds all the levers of power, and they try to represent the opposition, not as people with a different view, but as thoroughly illegitimate, dangerous communists that must be defeated. Mm. And that is fascist politics. Uh, Jason, we only have about a minute left, but I want to get you to talk a little about the antidote to this kind of fascist idealism. What are the things that we should be doing to move back toward, uh, you know, the liberal democracy that that I think we all say we cherish? Well, we need to directly confront the racism in our society that enables these fascist leaders to represent minority groups as fundamental threats to America. We need to to say, you know, we need to not give up. uh, We we need to recognize that there's longstanding racial injustice that our police departments I have been complicit. Our politicians, certainly Michigan can speak to that uh, with its history of emergency management. Um, Public schools do not uh, serve white and black citizens equally. And as long as we have these huge racial differences, we will have protests that will be represented as riots, which then will be used by these demagogues to to grab power and rob us blind. So therefore, we must address this uh, history uh, and present of racial injustice. And that's what Black Lives Matter is. It is an anti-fascist movement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, Jason Stanley, author of How Fascism Works, The Politics of Us and Them, and the Jacob Urowski Professor of Philosophy at Yale University. It was really great to have you here for this conversation. Thank you very much you. for being with us. Thank you so much, Stephen. Okay, that is going to do it for us today. I will be back tomorrow, and I hope you will too. We are going to talk with Congresswoman Haley Stevens about the pandemic, about relief for Americans, which is still being debated in Congress, and a number of other subjects. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk more tomorrow.